Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their world. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. Solving the Leadership Crisis. This is the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, in studio with Ron Price. You know, Ron has worked with leaders and served in a variety of organizations for more than 45 years. He is the author of six books, including the most recent, The Complete Leader, which he co-authored with Randy Lisk. Ron currently serves leaders in several countries, as well as serving as the president CEO of Price Associates. Uh, We've had a fantastic set of conversations for this podcast, Ron. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Great to be with you again. Yeah, it's great to be with you too, Dale. We have a lot of fun together. So uh, our topic today is all about crisis, and I'm I'm going to put you on the hot seat right out of the chute. Tell me about a leadership crisis that you had to work through. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You know, you know what the problem is, is I can think of so many of them <laughs> when you've been involved in uh, leading organizations for 45 plus years, you run into one crisis after another. After a while, you realize that's part of why we're leaders is because somebody has to be willing to take responsibility for things. But let me explain one, one of the ones to you that really shifted my career back in 2000. I had been, uh, I started in a leadership role at a company in 1989 that only had 37 employees, and I got involved with the company because I really believed in their products, and initially I was a spokesperson for them and did some consulting work, and then they asked me if I would take a leadership role in the company, and it was a terrific experience. I, I just, I think I was lucky. I came to that company at the beginning of the really big global growth of the 90s. And we caught that wave and we grew into eight different countries. And I had the pleasure of working with leadership teams in these eight different countries and seeing whether or not we could replicate our culture, our values in all of these different countries. And in so many ways, it was a fast growing company. We tripled in size. And in so many ways, it was the experience of a lifetime. And I came to the end of 1999 and the beginning of 2000. And I had what I would call a leadership crisis within because I looked at myself one day, not literally in the mirror, but reflecting, I looked at myself and I asked myself the question, do you want to be here for the rest of your career? And the company, I didn't have any ownership in it. And I'd been an owner of companies in the past. The company was owned by two other people. And I answered to a board of directors. And it was a hard question for me to answer because it was hard for me to be honest, because I had it so good. Everywhere I went, first class, five-star hotels, treated like a king. But the the outer benefits, rewards of being the president of this company didn't satisfy this inner voice that was challenging me that if I stayed in this company, I probably wasn't going to change as a leader a lot in the future that I'd learned what I could in this experience and it was time for me to do something new. So one morning in January of 2000, I did two things. I shaved off my mustache that I'd had for 20 years (laughs) (laughs) and I called the chairman of the board and asked if I could see him. And I met with him in my office a little later that morning and I said, I've decided it's time for me to resign and I'm giving my six months notice so that you have plenty of time to find my replacement. And he looked at me and he said, 
You jerk. <laughs> How do you really feel? Yeah, that's right. And it, actually, I think that was his first honest response. We were good friends. And we knew each other well. But after he absorbed it and understood my reasoning for it, he was fully supportive, and we began that transition. Hmm. I went from that, really an apex of a career, to not having a title at all and starting over again. That sounds like the topic for another podcast. <laughs> but yeah, we, so we, we've set it up that today we're talking about solving the leadership crisis. So let's dive in. Define the crisis first. Yeah, now let's, let's talk about the world's leadership yes. crisis instead yeah. of runs. Yeah. So we're in a, such an f- interesting inflection point in history because we have the baby boomers that for a long time have represented over 60% of the workplace in America and in fact around the world. And because today 10,000 baby boomers in the United States are turning 65 years old every day, we are having this huge shift or of leaders leaving the workplace and we don't have enough Gen Xers to take their place. Gen Xers represent about 20% of the workforce today and that's the most they're ever going to represent of the workforce. Today, over 50% of the workforce are what we call millennials or Gen Yers. Depending on who you listen to, they were born between 1980 and 2000. Some people say between 1984 and 95 in 2004, but somewhere in that range, over 50% of the workforce are are Gen Yers or millennials, and they grew up in a different time with a different idea about leadership. If you think about us boomers, and I'm one of them, we grew up in a time where leadership to us often meant military because we were still very much aware of what was happening with the military. We had fathers or grandfathers that fought in the wars World War I, World War II, or Korea. Some of us fought in Vietnam. And so a lot of what we learned about leadership came through an experience in the military. Or some of us learned about leadership through sports. We were on the football team or the basketball team, and our coach was one of the greatest examples of leadership, for good or for bad, for us. Or maybe some of us, like you, Dale, grew up on a farm. And so what we learned about leadership had a lot to do with understanding the consequences of doing things the right way at the right time throughout the entire season. The millennials aren't having those experiences in anywhere near the degree that we did when we were growing up. First of all, the millennials, almost none of them know what a farm's like. They're, they get, they're surprised to find out that milk doesn't come in a carton. <laughs> and many of them today have no awareness of what's happening in terms of the military because we have an all-volunteer army in the United States today. A very, very small percentage of the population ever has an experience of leadership in the military. And fewer and fewer are having experience in sports. So the three main places that we learned leadership from, oh, you could say the fourth one would be family, but now when we talk about family, we know that large numbers of millennials grew up in broken homes single-parent households, mobility where they didn't grow up in a neighborhood where everybody knew and watched out for. The, the, The environment, the world that millennials have grown up in is so different from what we experienced that when you talk to them about leadership, it means something very different than what we learned. And they're being given leadership positions faster than any other generation in all of time. 
Over 50% of millennials born from 1980 to 2000 are already in supervisory roles. And what we hear from them over and over and over again, both through surveys, through research, and through our interviews with them, is I don't understand leadership. Somebody teach me leadership. They want it, but they don't feel that they've been given good examples or that they've been given a good pathway for learning leadership. So that's part of what I refer to when I call it a leadership crisis. You say they want to learn it. So, and I also heard you say in there that they want to see it, they want to see it exhibited in a positive way. It's not just reading about it or reading about the military style, the, the sports style, the family style, the farm style. They want to experience it firsthand in a positive way. Yeah, they want to see it inside of an organization and they see a lot of versions, a lot of expressions of leadership in the organization that they're in now. If they're in a smaller organization, they may see what's considered a dictatorial style of leadership. Somebody who's an entrepreneur who fought hard to be successful and they know how it needs to be done and they just want other people to follow their directions. Or if they're in a large organization, they may have discovered the political version of leadership where everybody is out for themselves and you're playing this political game hoping to get the next promotion. And Once people reach a certain level, they say, well, I've earned it. I've gotten to where I'm at now. The company's not going to get rid of me now. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And it's more self-centered than organization or other-centered. So they're seeing a lot of different variations or styles or expressions of leadership. And they're saying, I don't think those work anymore. We've got to come up with something new. Hmm. And that leads us to really... Not only are we going through this huge demographic shift, but we're going through a phenomenal shift in the way organizations function today and the way they're going to function in the very near future. So for that person who owns the responsibility of preparing those people to come up and be future leaders in an organization, uh, that person is listening right now saying, yep, that's the problem. That is the problem. How do we start translating this and growing leaders inside of organizations? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to start going wider and deeper. I I, I can't name some of our clients, but I know of one client that has tens of thousands of employees, and they confess to me that they invest all of their leadership development dollars into 10% of the people in the company. And if you haven't been picked, if you haven't been marked by them as a potential future leader, sorry, but you're on your own. All of the money goes to the top 10% or a very small sliver of people down throughout the organization. Do you think that's more the norm? No, I I do think that. I I don't think I know that's the norm. norm. Statistically, that's the norm. So the first thing is that organizations need to think wider and deeper about how they develop leaders. And they need to recognize that the person who needs the most help in leadership development is the line leader, the person who's in their first supervisory job. You know, Dale, because of the work we do, I get to observe the way large organizations function. And most people come out of school and they get their first job. Maybe they're a manager trainee because they got a good grade average at a good school or something. And they get their first promotion because of what they're able to get done. Their bosses, the organization looks at them and says, if you got it done on time and under budget and with a certain amount of quality, hey, you look like you're a future leader and they promote them. Well, when they promote them one or two times, suddenly now they're leading other people. And even though getting things done is still important, when you start leading other people, it's a lot more important to understand how to lead other people. And some folks recognize, oh, I've got to develop a new set of skills now. 
And so they go looking. Some organizations are enlightened enough that they give them, they immediately start training them in how to lead people instead of just giving them the new responsibility. But there's a high percentage of leaders that say, well, getting things done is what got me here. I'm going to keep doing that. And people just become their errand boys and girls. They just give everything away to other people to do, but they're still in charge of everything. And they don't really develop those people. They use those people. And at some point, if they do a good job, maybe they did eventually develop people skills, or maybe they did such a good job of getting things done with many hands that they get promoted higher and higher. And eventually when they enter the senior ranks of leadership, now they're responsible for setting the course of the organization. So now it's about what kind of thinking skills did they have? Are they good at strategy? Are they good at futuristic thinking? Can they see things conceptually before they become a reality? Well, there are some people that nobody ever teaches them how to do that. We just assume they must have learned. And those people end up failing when they get to that level. And the whole company crumbles because now they're making decisions that are mission critical. So what have large organizations around the world done? They've said, oh, we know what we need to do. We need to send them to business school. So we send them to get MBAs and EMBAs and an MBA class, they learn about finance and they learn about credit and they learn about operations and they might have a course in human resources and they learn about marketing and they learn about sales, but they're still learning about organizational knowledge they need. Rarely do any of the postgraduate programs teach them anything about leadership skills. How do you think clearly? How do you make decisions? How do you solve problems? How do you develop empathy? How do you evaluate and understand other people well? How do you manage conflict? How do you persuade people? How do you maintain a customer focus amidst all the noise? These are leadership skills that need to be taught throughout the organization. So one of the first things I would recommend to somebody who's responsible for this is start thinking about leadership development for every person in the organization. Now, I know that means we need to reinvent the way we do things because you can't afford to give them all an individual coach. But we have to do that if we're going to be a thriving organization in the next decades. So let's use your, uh, your organization that has thousands of employees and only invests in 10%. What does it look like to start investing in every employee and growing leadership skills? They really have to reinvent the systems that they use. And anytime that you're reinventing or you're innovating or you're transforming the learning process, there's a, there, there's steps that you go through. You develop ideas, then you test those ideas on a small number and see whether or not they work, whether they resonate. Once you've got an idea that you know works, now you deploy it throughout the whole organization. Instead, what we see is, for instance, e-learning or learning management systems have become quite popular. Most large companies have them today. And most large companies would tell you, if you ask them, that they're grossly underutilized because we just threw a system out there assuming it was going to work instead of going through a true innovative process of putting things together, trying things at a, at a pilot level, finding out what works, playing with it, learning from it, and then deploying it throughout the organization once you know you've got the right recipe for learning. And that's what some organizations are doing it. I have to tell you, there's some that do a great job of this kind of exploring, but most organizations are saying we're too busy to do this. Or because of the economy, we're going to cut back. And where do they cut back first? It's almost always in the learning and development side that they cut back because 
that's not considered a mission critical. But if you don't take care of that today, you might not have anything to take care of in the future because you might lose your place in a competitive world that's looking for every opportunity to steal your customers. And also to that point, the millennial is looking for this kind of investment where they work. And if they don't get it, they will go find it somewhere else. So it also means you're losing not only your customers, but your talent. Yeah, and and that really brings me to the second piece of advice I would give to somebody who's responsible for leadership development. And that is quit thinking about it as a generic activity. Leadership development is about, in, it's about developing the leader. And because leaders are unique, they're human beings. They have a unique set of skills. We need to think about developing around their skills. About, I think at least 80% of all training dollars in America today are spent trying to fix somebody. You know, they have trouble getting into arguments with people. So we send them to a class on conflict management. They are always disorganized. They never get things done. So we send them to a class on time management. We send people to classes to fix them. Why not instead send them to classes to develop what they're naturally good at already? That's what we do with athletes. We don't spend our time trying to fix what athletes aren't good at. We spend our time trying to hone their skills, trying to make them world-class, trying to make them as powerful, as performing, as successful as they can be at the thing that they're already good at. And so leadership development should do that as well. It shouldn't be generic. Oh, we want everybody to have the same set of skills. It's who are you? What makes you unique as a human being? What are your unique passions? What do you already do well that if we continue to develop it, you would become a significant person of influence based on the way that we've developed you uniquely? It's a totally different way of thinking than the way most large organizations approach learning and development today. But I'm convinced it's the way of thinking in the future in part because that's what organizations will need to be competitive, and in part because that's what they need to hold on to their best people. Their best people want to be the best they can be, and they don't want somebody trying to fix their weaknesses. They want somebody who wants to leverage their strengths. And I don't mean by that that we ignore the weaknesses, but we don't major on them. We major on the strengths, and we minor on the weaknesses. All right, so you say that leadership is a unique following the unique theme it's a unique journey for each leader yeah that's right and um i think it's i i think i live with this problem every day dale of organizations that are trying to fill slots in their org chart instead of develop people to their highest potential and i think one of the other things that's going to happen is that org charts are going to lose their attractiveness to leaders in the future There are a couple of reasons why that's going to happen. One is because the organization of the future is not going to be an org chart. The organization of the future is going to be a network of teams. And I like to call it the Hollywood model. They're going to be constantly morphing teams. You know, you get together a group to work on this movie, and when the movie's done, the team dissipates, and it has to reorganize for another project. And not only that, but the organization of the future It may be only one or at the most two out of three people working for the organization are actually going to be employees. One of the things that we're going to see happening is that organizations are going to figure out how to organize around these networks of teams and use high, great talent, regardless of whether they're an employee of the organization or not. And they're going to develop new ways of thinking about how we get things done. And this aligns so well with what, with what millennials are looking for. Millennials want autonomy. They want freedom. They want to be able to know that they're making a contribution. They don't want to just run the treadmill. 
They want every day to count for something. So they're helping us to become more potent, more effective organizations in the future. And we've seen some organizations start to test this, try it, uh, flatten out the org chart or, or get rid of the org chart altogether. And there's some interesting uh, things that, that are coming out of that that we're starting to see. So you, you've said that uh, we ought to approach leadership development the same way a baseball team is serious about developing talent. Yeah. Dive into that. Yeah, so what I mean is that a, it, most great, great baseball teams over time have a mixture of, of going after free agents and having a great farm organization. So the Yankees, who have been famous for just going out and buying the free agents, they try to buy the World Series every year, and they're only marginally successful in doing that because it's too risky to bring all these free agents together and not to be able to build the culture as they're developing their skills. So the farm approach, the farm team approach, is we take this young, raw talent coming out of college or sometimes coming out of high school, and we're going to spend several years developing it before they ever get to the big leagues. It may be three, four, five, six, seven years before they get to the big leagues. And we have shaped these individuals. We've shaped their values, their skills, and they understand what's unique about our organization, what, what are the values that drive our organization, and they become the primary part of your organizational leadership. And then you bring in a few free agents to salt or to season it, but not to create the team itself. So the great baseball teams have done that consistently as they develop people from beneath. There's actually great research that shows that organizations that regularly bring CEOs in from outside of the organization have a much higher risk of failure than organizations who are developing their leaders from within the organization. And years ago, we had a client who came to us and said, look, I'm going to be the CEO for five years, then I'm retiring, I'm gone after that. I have one goal. When I retire, I want for my position and every other leadership position in the organization that we will have three qualified candidates inside the organization to interview for that job. He said, we may still choose somebody from the outside, but I want to have so much strength in leadership built within our organization that we always have at least three qualified candidates. And it was a wonderful project for us to work with him on. And we looked at a lot of the things that we're talking about today. And at the end of that five years, he called me one day and said, well, I'm retiring next week. And we had three qualified candidates, and one of them is taking my job. And for him, the money he made wasn't the crowning point of his career, though he made good money. The crowning point of his career was that he had achieved what he thought was the most important thing for the future success of his organization, and that was to make leadership meaningful at every level in the organization. That is a great story. Uh, to send us off with today as we think about this. The book is The Complete Leader, and it is a tremendous tool for you to use in developing leaders inside of your organization. Give us the elevator pitch on on how to use the book in the in an organization well, to address these these challenges that we've, the crisis. Sure. We've well, first about. of all, when Randy and I wrote it, we thought of it as being like an encyclopedia of leadership skills so that you could go to the leadership skills that were most important to you right now in your career and just focus on those. <clears throat> that eventually led us to a website, thecompleteleader.org, that has an ever-growing uh, reservoir of resources around those 25 leadership skills 
they break down into four categories. Leaders as clear thinkers, leaders leading themselves or getting things done, leaders leading others, and leaders as authentic. And um, we've had people who use the book as a book study. They get people together once a week for lunch and go through a new chapter. We have done a number of uh, what we call EMBA programs in leadership skills. So we will either work inside of a company or we have some public enrollment uh, programs where people go through an 18-month program of focusing on these leadership skills and zeroing in on those that are most important for them and really creating a foundation, an understanding that they'll use for the rest of their career to continue the upward spiral journey of leadership. Mm, fantastic. The book, The Complete Leader, this is Ron Price. Thank you so much for your time. Tremendous conversations and uh, definitely one of those podcasts to bookmark and go back and listen to on a regular basis. Grow the leaders inside your organization. If you would like to make contact with Ron, his information is right there in the show notes. Be sure, and uh, he would love to hear from you, by the way, but you can reach out to him through that uh, the website, price-associates.com. Also, thecompleteleader.org is the website to go to. And this is the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.